Well, we uh, we say good evening, and we are getting ready for Genesis chapter two, verse four. But we didn't finish verse three last week, so we'll probably try to finish that part up, and then maybe go into this next part, which I'm not even sure if I'm even ready for it. <laughs> the more I read it, the more confused I got whenever I thought I had it down. So I might just try to hang out on verse 3 tonight. <laughs> anyway, um, in the first three verses, what we have is where um, God finished His work and then God rested from His work, and then God blessed His work and sanctified it. And uh, that's where we're at. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Uh, Special day it was. Uh, It's exalted. Uh, A great great day that God did as a perfect reminder of uh, the glory of His creation. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your great majesty. Thank you, Lord, for your great grace that you have upon us and that uh, we can meet together in your name and discuss the great things of your word, your truth. And we uh, look again to uh, another matter that uh, extends to uh, not only from creation of the world, but to man, to mankind and the way that you relate to man. Uh, It is something that uh, we uh, just love to look into because that uh, is definitely uh, about us. And as it is about us, it's not about us, but it's about you. It's all for your glory. But uh, we thank you for having such a relationship with mankind and showing your tremendous love and your grace and blessings on us. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're really uh, on the seventh day in the first three verses. And we see that, uh, what a reminder that that Sabbath uh, was and, and is. And God made that so that we would recognize that He did a tremendous work. It's always before us, every day. And matter of fact, we our rest is every day in, in the sense that we've taken a rest in Christ. So in, in that sense... Um, we think of the seventh day where there was uh, a little bit different ending to that day in the sense that you don't see evening and morning, whereas you saw it all the other days. And on the seventh day, you don't see that. And it's, and it's like in one sense, maybe that seventh day is extended on out. It was a literal day, a seventh day, and a 24-hour day, but yet at the same time as we who are in Christ... We take our rest in Christ and we're in that Sabbath rest because we're in Christ. And um, not to try to get too symbolic, but what it does, it uh, ever gives us a reminder uh, that uh, the Sabbath showed us that God was uh, had a beautiful creation and it was completed. And uh, so we too can take rest in that. So the first thing that he says in verse 3 after... um, those first two verses, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. And sanctified means to what? To set apart. He made it special. 
Uh, and this is the first time in Scripture we see this word, sanctified. It's a, it's a good key word in, in all the Bible. Holy. He made it holy. Uh, he sanctified it or made it holy. And um, whenever the word is Kadesh. It means to separate from. Uh, it means to, uh, to separate from the common to separate from the common number. This seventh day is separated from all the rest of the other days. This has been elevated and taken into a different level. So the first time in Scripture we see the word holy. And holy is one of the key uh, ideas to understand about who God is. He is holy Himself. He is the Holy One. Uh, It's the one where we think of an Isaiah where it's mentioned three times. Holy, holy, holy. And um, that is one thing that we always want to remember, that He is set apart from His creation. He is not creation Himself. He is set apart from it, much higher, much elevated. Um, But here He takes a day, makes it holy, and then He declares it holy. It's now declared. And this is to be a day that's going to be distinguished from all other days from here on out. From the time of creation to even right now and on into the future. Uh, Quite a a set-apart day. Quite an elevated day. Um, There's a commentator on this, or one writer by the name of Mark Ross, and he says it's a day set apart that... uh, the world would know that there's a bridegroom. And, of course, the world, I guess, it would be the people in the world that are, are Christians. But we have a, a day, in one sense, like when we, uh, let's say, we, we meet in church, which can be the, the, the Lord's Day. We think of that being the, uh, the first day of the week, celebrating the Resurrection Day. Um, and so, in that sense, some people take that as being the Sabbath. But it's, it's a special day that we have as worship, and he says that's where we get to be with the bridegroom with all the other ones that are with him. And so eternity, we're going to know him much better as he has prepared us here, as we all are the bride. And we're learning how to um, to uh, be in the presence of the bridegroom and the rest of the bride. Anyway, God's holiness is uh, the key here. And this is... Uh, this is something that we kind of want to introduce to Christ, uh, uh, other people who are not Christians, the lost. And when you introduce a holy God to them, why is it that they just shiver at that thought of a holy God? What is it about it uh, when you think of holy, the holiness of God? You think of something that's high and lofted, of uh, something that is, is pure. He's transcendent. And it makes people very nervous. And to be real honest with you, as a Christian, there are two things that happen whenever I think of His holiness. I get excited about the thought of His holiness, but at the same time, there's a fear that comes across me that makes me tremble. And if you've ever read the book, uh, The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, you'd know kind of what I'm talking about there because we don't want to just kind of gloss over uh, the holiness of God, and say, well, that's nice, he's a holy God, but it, it should make us tremble in the sense as we look at his word and uh, focus on this transcendence of God. But at the same time, he stoops down to us and communicates with us. 
and so he's not so transcendent as that he is the uh, he's so other the otherness of God he's uh, that he never connects with his creation. That's how good of a God that uh, we have. That God is absolute holy, and when you take the thought of the gospel to people who don't know God, one of the first things you want to show is that God is holy. And we also show that they are not, that we are not, that we are sinful, but God is holy, high and lifted up. Uh, people don't like God's holiness until uh, there is a regeneration or something that starts to happen and they see that. Uh, fear happens uh but it can be a, a good kind of fear, a reverence and an awe of, of its great majesty. Uh, anyway, that's part of the gospel. You know, you think of this seven-day week, and I think it is probably one of the uh, greatest things that we have that goes all the way from creation to today, and there is really no rational, no philosophical, no scientific reason that there should be a seven-day week. Mathematically, seven doesn't even go into... How many days are there? 365 and a fourth, right? Seven doesn't go into that. It's not even you know divisible. And I think it's a great attestation to our great Creator God. Isn't it interesting that we live in a world that hates God so much, but yet... The, the weak is built upon that? Where in the world did that come from? I, I imagine there probably are some societies. I don't know who they are right now. I wish I'd have taken some more time to figure it out. But has anybody ever heard of a society that doesn't go by a seven-day week? There's probably tri- tribal societies that don't have that. But can you imagine not having a week, a seven-day thing? You just keep on going in a linear way, and there's nothing that has a weekly basis? I think the Romans tried a ten-day week. But that failed. Right? <laughs> they tried a 10-day week. Uh, the Roman society had a festival every single week, so they weren't lacking in holiday days off. But they, I think they did try a 10-day week, but it failed. Hmm. They ended up going back to seven. Kind of interesting. Well, isn't it interesting, though, that it's the number seven? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And what does seven in the Bible mean? Completion. Mm-hmm. And and God had made that complete. And here it is still today. Isn't that almost... It's just like when you go out and look at His creation. Look at the stars, the sun and the moon and all that. And then we, we have this week. And, and even in the sense that we live in um, 2011 A.D., in the year of our Lord. Most societies do that. Uh, now, I know some will will use a different kind of a calendar to get away from anything that would have Christ. But as a whole, this this is what year we are in. I know there, there are the Chinese, right? They have their own calendar. There's probably the Mayan calendar and uh, maybe several others. What, what do the Muslims go by? They don't go by that calendar, do they? What year is this to them? I don't know. Just, I had more time to check that out. But anyway, I think, I think it's absolutely uh, wonderful to realize that God established this pattern and as a majority is concerned, they follow this pattern, the seven-day week. There's no other reason for it than this right here, right here in Scripture. Have you ever asked anybody, why do we have a seven-day week? It'd be interesting to, to ask an unbeliever, why do we, where did the seven-day week come from? Why has it always been here? 
Why does it exist? Anyway, every, every week we go through a cycle. It reminds us of the creation that was in six days. And the seventh day, God rested. What a reminder. Um, Calvin said, All days we should daily exercise ourselves to consider the infinite goodness, justice, power, and wisdom of God in this magnificent theater of God of heaven and earth. You like that? And he says, In case we forget, we have this special day applying the mind to the Creator. <laughs> we have every day to realize that. But in case there's a day we might forget about this great Creator, we definitely have the Sabbath there to help us be reminded of this of this special day that God set aside. Uh, you know what? His work was grounded not only in creation, but also in the work of redemption. And of course, there was a rest in creation and there's a rest in redemption. When we become Christians, we rest in that redemption. I think He wants us to engage in having our minds being exercised of thinking of that great rest that we have, the rest that the Father had, the rest that we have in Him. And so we should consider always, constantly, the goodness, the greatness of uh, God's creation. Anyway, that's the uh, seventh day. Day of rest. A day of uh, uh, blessing that God had, sanctifying it. A day that showed that things were finished, creative-wise. Let's go into the next section. Okay, this is difficult. This section, the more I read it, the more confused I finally got. But I'm going to present it anyway, and we'll work around it. And excuse me, because I'm still working on it. And I'm not so sure I'll ever get finished with it. I've always had trouble with this section, 4 through 6. Now, we're at the high point of creation. What we're going to do is we're going to go basically back into the sixth day where man was created. And and everything else from here on out is going to be focusing upon the, the story of man. We've seen the creation. We've seen that backdrop. And now, on this stage, God is going to drop in mankind And from there on is this beautiful story and ugly story of this creation that God has made. And of course, the the redemption story is in there, which is the beautiful part of the story after the sad part, fall of man. But it's a high point. Um, In in the first three verses, we we looked at where um, God has rest. And we reflect on that. And we also uh, have looked at that man is made in the image of God. And we saw a glimpse of that in chapter 1. We didn't get a lot of detail. And that's where he's going to start um, smoothing this out and giving us a lot more information. And We know if we're made in the image of God, which we are, we have personality. God has personhood. God has personality. Um, we relate, we uh, communicate with Him, with other 
of mankind. Um, we have intelligence. We have self-consciousness. We, we know who we are, unlike what uh, the animals do. We, we have a soul, the mind, the emotions, the will. Man is this great crown of God's creation. And um, what he's going to do is to show that now God is going to take this and he's going to show how man is made. We'll, we'll get that in verse 7. And then it'll take it all the way to the point as we get into chapter 3, how man sinned, then how God makes way. We'll, we'll continue to see this, this story of, of man. So day 6 is when the story really starts developing. And that's kind of where we're at here. It's about, about man. Um, so the rest of creation is, is a stage for mankind. And with that backdrop, uh, we, we start to see the details. Now chapter 2 has created a lot of controversy because some of your liberal people would say, see, there are problems with the Bible because you have a different creation account in chapter 2 than you do in 1. They conflict, and now you have all sorts of problems. That is not true at all. Matter of fact, chapter 2 complements chapter 1 very well. It comes in and shows more detail about man. It's not a different creation at all. Uh, it's the same creation. We just get uh, a detail about the creation of man. Yeah? Not to be a problem, cause or anything, but um, this was something that I had a problem with, and I still can't figure out other than just simply saying what you just said. Well, we say that it's just an embellishment on chapter 1. Okay, how is it that we say that? Other than just saying it. I mean, that's like, that's circular thinking. Well, that's what we're here tonight for. <laughs> how do we, how do we, how are we able to say that other than just being circular with it? Well, that's what we're going to, we're going to have to wrestle with. We're going to deal with this. And uh, hopefully... I'm, I'm completely confused then on verse 5 when it's saying that there isn't any bush or anything like that, but yet... That's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> that And that's where I think a lot of people struggle. I don't struggle with the fact of that at all. Uh, but I struggle with working with the Hebrew words. Um, because I usually work with Greek words. And Greek words a lot of times are more specific. Uh, Hebrew is uh, very well-rounded. Uh, but sometimes Hebrew words can be like English. And they can mean more than one word Greek can be that way too, but a lot of times it's more defined. There are more words in a Greek uh, language than there is in the Hebrew, but uh, we can say that we can probably get a little help here if we go to some Hebrew scholars and we'll look at the way that this is set up. Because if you read this, we'll start in verse 4, uh, and we're going to have to define some of, of these words. Uh, that'll, that should help. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. We had a chronological event happening in chapter 1, day 1, day 2, day 3, all the way through day 6. When you get into chapter 2, 
we're not necessarily going into, we got all the way to what? The Sabbath day, right? All the way up into chapter 2, the first three verses. We're not thinking in a chronological way here now. And one thing, Kim, that we want to keep, and I say Kim, this is everybody else, to keep in mind that this is written, first of all, from uh, a Hebrew perspective. And that will help to know that. Because what the way that they write a lot uh, is, just like our newspapers, we'll have headlines up at the top. And, matter of fact, you'll have even captions underneath that. But you don't get the whole story, but you get, here is, is something that's going to grab your interest, right? You see the headline. Then you have the article underneath that gives you all the details of what is happening there. That is what is set up in chapter 1 as the heading, and it gives us a pretty good I think a pretty good outline, more than an outline of what God did in his creation. Chapter 2, he's going to focus mainly on man in the Garden of Eden, and he's going to show about the details of man, and even shows how he's made here. So he backs up now and says, okay, what about this man? What about what about uh, what was happening at the time before the fall even happened? What about these particular plants when it, it appears that there isn't any plant? We're, it looks like we're going back to day two. Day three was whenever the plants were there. Now he says, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. I hope when we get out of here tonight that I won't make it more confusing than what that may be. It's not confusing. I, I, I know what it's saying here, but to be able to express it and come away with um, uh, a pleasing feeling that you guys are going to catch what I'm saying. <laughs> like I said, I, I, I don't know how to put this other than trying to draw out maybe some, uh, some of the language and, and the way that the Hebrew people did um, understand things and put things into uh, a poetic sense. And I, I don't take anything uh, there and just say it's not literal. Uh, but I'm just saying they we have a way that they have done to set this up. Uh, man is like is plucked up, uh, as it were, and you have whole all creation here in chapter one, and man is now put into this this garden or this stage. It's, it's a drama. It's a story, and it's real. The story is real. Okay. Uh, but you have the rest of creation there. So don't get hung up on the creation. All of a sudden we have a chronology in chapter 2 going just like we had in chapter 1. He backs up and says, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to complete this out and give you a little bit more on the one who I'm writing about. God's writing about man, and it's for man. This is for us to understand about who God is, what He did, and about ourselves, and what happened to us. Um, Anyway, um, from here on, the rest of Genesis, all the way through chapter 50, and you might as well just say, all the way on through Revelation, he's going to show man. He's going to show the dilemmas of man. He's going to show what God does for man, in spite of all that dilemma, all the way to the end of the book. Okay, let's try to tackle this a little bit. And different translations are going to have different words here. In verse 4, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day, we'll explain that, that the Lord God, we'll explain that, made the earth and the heavens. Stop there. This is the history 
kind of like the word, but I think there's a better word. First of all, there are two ways that we can take this. And either way can be right. I'm not going to be dogmatic. I will tell you what I favor, but that's okay if you want to disagree. I think in the Latin it's subscriptus. <laughs> that means that this, and I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying subscriptus is saying all of what's happened before, this is like a summary of what happened in the past. Now, I'm not taking it that way. Because I see it as a taking it forward, and I'll tell you why. But that's okay, because believe me, in the body of Christ, there are very many good scholars that would disagree with me. And who am I? But I'm not going out on a loan here by myself. Uh, there are many very good scholars, and uh, most of the ones that I've read see it as a, a forward-looking which would be, instead of your subscriptus, which is looking back at it, you have what would be a superscriptus. Are you saying, what are the, this, these are the words for, for history here? Is that what this here, would, for that... Um, for the word history? Uh, and I'm going to get into that one word in a moment. But mainly, what is, the, what is verse 4 doing as, as a whole? Is it summing up the first chapter... Or is it looking forward to? Is it going further with this? Okay, it's a, is it a summary? Or is it something that's saying, hey, listen, here's what's going to follow about man. Here is the following. And we're going to use that word history, which my version says, which I really prefer generation. Some of you might have that in your translations. Do you have generation? Well, it I, I I know. I know. And this is where it really gets really tricky. Uh and it, is that day the same word for the twenty four hour day that's in chapter one? Uh, it's the same word, same word, different meaning. Yeah. Different meaning. And I'll, and I'll get to that. Um, <laughs> that's why I say this is really, it's, it really... It, it, <laughs> me and Zach were working with this earlier. We are just kind of going over there. Hey, hey, look at this, look at this. Uh, and then we said, and he said we need to, he said we just need to skip to verse 7. <laughs> yeah, Bob. Maybe it could be... Um look at as a summary statement kind of like a interlude or a, I mean a, a connecting mm-hmm. statement yeah. it can be and that's uh, Henry Morris Henry Morris who I respect he has a great book Genesis Record and I mean he's very helpful um, but there would be many other creation people that would disagree with him. And I think as a whole, they probably do. And when you first read this, you go, okay, this is all about what that was before. And what, what we have here, uh, the word account is not very good. And to be real honest with you, I'm, you'll have account, you'll have history, you'll have generation. And the word um, is okay. 
it's used, it's toledeth. Do you, do you have that on your yeah. outlines there? Yeah. And if you really look that up in other places, like in, oh, let's say chapter 5, verse 1, this is the book of the, mine says genealogy, or you'll probably have generations. Uh, you may not have an account there. Do you have a count in chapter 5, verse 1? This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. Or, generate, you have a count? Okay, a written account. And it's not bad, okay, but generations is the idea of the word. And I can tell you what, NIV is going to usually use account. And the reason they're doing that is they're trying to make this a little more modern because you usually don't use the word generations. But if you think of generations, what are you thinking of? You're thinking of, of people or man and the descendants. Okay, in chapter 5, he says, this the book, and mine is really like generations, but it says genealogy, but it's related to that in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word really is toledeth, means to bear, it means to beget. Most often, uh, generation, that's all related to that. Uh, if we look in chapter 6, verse 9, even if you use the word um, generations, or if you use the word um, that you have, uh, which one did you have? You have mm-hmm. history. Even if you use history or you mm-hmm. use, gen- use generation, either one seems to imply going backwards, doesn't it, as opposed to following? Well, if you take chapter 5, verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. What do you have? He's going to show uh, you're going to have Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalo, Jared. It just goes right on down and gives you the, the proceeding ones, the following. Yeah, Ryan. I think you'll find if you, if you uh, look up these are the generations in Genesis, um, that it stands as a, a heading for a new section throughout all of Genesis. I, I believe there are, there are several sections throughout Genesis, um, and they each are divided by this key phrase, which happens all throughout the Bible, New Testament, too. That, you know, they didn't write in chapter and verse, so they this is a this is a heading for a new section, and each time that the writer says this, it's at the beginning of a new section, and it's forward looking. So he'll say later on something like, "These are the generations of Noah," "These are the generations of the sons of Noah," and and we, and then go into those generations. So it's forward looking right. in, in the rest of the instances, not not referring to what just happened, but it's a new section referring to what it's getting ready to talk about. And, and that's, that's, that's correct. Let's go with those. Um, we saw our chapter 5, verse 1. Um, your chapter 6, verse 9, you said Noah, right? This is the genealogy or generations of Noah. And there you have Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So, and that's looking what? That's going forward. We're staying consistent with this. It's a different division. Uh, if we go to chapter 10, verse 1. This is just following up with what Ryan said there. Now, this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and sons were born to them. Now you get uh, other names. It's doing the same thing that it did in chapter 5, chapter 6, um, chapter 10, chapter 11. Again, we'll see it. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100, and then you get... Uh, a bunch of names after that, okay? Are you saying verse 4 in chapter 2 then, instead of account, it should be 
generation? Yeah, I think account can, or, or history tends to want to make you look back. And if but it doesn't make sense in this one because if you say this is the generation of the heavens and the earth, you're making it sound like the heavens and the earth did the generating. Yes, that's that's what we're saying. But the heavens and earth didn't do this. And let us let us let us go through the text. <laughs> Hang on, be patient, because I know what you're saying. And believe me, every time I'd read this, it would drive me crazy. I'm going. This doesn't make sense. And and it's not because God's not making sense. My mind can't grasp this. I don't know what you're saying here. And I'd read it and read it and read it. And I knew whenever I got into this that I'm going to be creating all sorts of problems. But what do I do? Do I skip it? No. (laughs) And as I was ringing through this, you know, and going through it, I, I, I think what we have is something consistent. It's a new section. Um... But that wording, especially that's put in the English, makes it read differently than what is set up in other places. And like what Ryan was saying, chapter 5 or chapter 6 or chapter 10 or chapter... Did we do a chapter 11? Verse 10, right? Okay, so... And we continue on that. That's like a new section. Okay, now here are descendants. Here's generations that will follow. So if we look at that, and then we look at chapter 2, it's the same consistency, same word uh, in, in the Hebrew. And if you read it literally in the Hebrew, not in our English text, uh, if you have an ESV, I think you're really safe with that. These are the generations. And now we have a different way of reading it. My, my New King James, I don't think, does it quite the justice. Uh, this is the generations of the heaven and the earth, the generations that come from creation out of the heavens and the earth, namely man. The generation from that. And then you have a generation that comes from Adam, and you have a generation that comes from um, uh, what uh, Noah, and, and on and on, right? Um, so it, it starts with that, that creation. Here's the beginning of the story of the generations of mankind. Now, does that help out? Here is the story of the generations of mankind, and as far as this creation is concerned. It's the creature about whom and for it was written, but this generation... uh, Here's another uh, way of putting it. In, In the day the Lord God made heaven and earth, the generation of man began. What we're doing is we're taking a translation out of that that Greek and trying or Hebrew, trying to make it as literal as it can. Sometimes when you take it so literal, it it uh, can be something that we stumble over. Yeah. But um, the generations of man in that day, and of course, Eldon was talking about, is this the same day that we saw in day one, day two, day three, and on and on? It is. And you can say, okay, how can you say that was a 24-hour day? And here, we're talking about in that day, in that time of creation, the same word, yom, but it doesn't have a number before it. When we have a day one, I, I will be dogmatic on this. Every time in the Old Testament, when yom is used, and there's a qualifying number with it, it always, everywhere else, is a 24-hour day. Um, but in this sense, like when we, we, we talk of the day of the Lord, that can mean more than 24-hour day, right? 
Why is that? How can we know that? Well, in the context, we know that it's talking about more than 24 hours. That's the, tw- the day of the Lord. It qualifies that. Is that the word yom? That's usually yom. It can be a, a, another uh, word for that. But whenever it is, uh, and we use that as a rule, whenever we have numbers or a series of numbers like it has all the way through there, my goodness, there are like six of those. And it just stays consistent with that. So that would qualify that, and, and if we're going to look at it through the rest of the Bible or the Old Testament, we need to stay consistent. If it's with numbers or with something that qualifies, then it's a 24-hour day. Here, we can say, no, it's not a 24-hour day, and there's no number there. There's nothing else that says that, but it's in during that time, in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens, going back to that time, going back to the time of creation. Each heading... You're talking about like headings there, Ryan, right? Each heading has a concentration of what comes forth from the object, or in this case, what comes forth from the person named. And so it's marching forward all the way through all those other places we look at. What's the emphasis on here? Creation of man, okay? The generations is dealing with man. And so it's more than just looking back and seeing what he's done. I think it is extending to where we're at into a new section pointing uh, where we're headed here as far as mankind and his generations from here on out. Okay, so if you're saying, what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is generations of man, um, of the heavens and the earth. And when, I, when I'm hearing that, then the, of the heavens and the earth, it's, it's giving us a place. It's our place. It's it's man's place. Yeah. Okay. It came out so, of that creation. So would that indicate that um, there's generations somewhere else? If he's specifying of the heavens and the earth? No. No, he's talking about right here. On <laughs> no, huh? No. Um, you're talking about are, are, there, are there other worlds out there? Yeah, if he's going to no. specify here, gen, the gener, okay, these are the generations of heaven and earth. No, this is the specifically what has been already mentioned in chapter one. That there's no other creation. There's nothing else given to us. So we have to take this is all of God's universe. Now, as He created that, out of that, out of all that, this creation that He's had, out of this comes the generation of man, and now that's what He's going to focus on. So we don't have to worry about any other other kind of creation. Uh, he's not even emphasizing that. He's saying, okay, here's now is where we're going to shift to man. Yeah. Here's how he comes on the scene. Yeah, Eldon. Does that carry forward into the Greek? When you're talking about the number of days being a 24-hour like day one, and then here where it says, and the day of the Lord. You mean in, in the Hebrew, you mean? No, in the or, Greek. Are you talking about the 70? Into the New Testament. Because I'm, I'm reading here in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 and says, You know full well that the day of the Lord will not come, will come just like a thief in the night. Is this a 24-hour day or is this a period of time? Uh, like this is the day. Well, I think like it. Is, does yeah. it carry over into Greek what you said in Hebrew? Um, I got another way to ask it. Is, is the Septuagint Greek? Septuagint is Greek. Is I don't think you're asking that one though, right? No. I, what, I, what I was getting at though is that reliable uh, in Greek form 
Well, it's a translation. It's it's helpful, but the original is Hebrew, uh-huh. and so the the, the Greek. Uh, well, when they translated it into Greek, did they translate it? Which way did they translate it? Is what I'm asking. Well, you're going to have the same. At? Yeah, you're going to have the same kind of problem. Anytime oh. you translate, you're still going to have to have if you ha- if there's a decision to be made, you're going to have to go one way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> so it still wasn't uh, definitive or. Okay, but that rule about the number and the day, if there's a number before it, that's number. all. So is, yeah. does that rule go... Well, I'm trying to see where it would apply in the New Testament. I don't think we have like a, a let's say, a, a day one or day two or, or something like that that I can think of as, uh, as far as creation is concerned. I can't think of any other other place. I don't know how that applies in, um, in the Greek there, Eldon. I, I can't really answer that for sure. Um, the word yom is the Greek equivalent is hemera, and it's just it's used the exact same way. Do you see? Do you see? Okay, so in other words, would it does it have a qualifier where there is like a here's a uh, something equivalent to a day one? Can you think of something like that? Where I mean, there's lots of the gospels as far as how long he stayed somewhere, how long Jesus stayed oh, okay. somewhere, or the next day. Right. But, but the phrase that Elder's referring to in Thessalonians is. Uh, it's just a, it's an idiom for the Old Testament. The day of the Lord is just stripped right out of the Old Testament. So it's, they're not making a point about the Jesus is going to take 24 hours to return. Right. Following the same phraseology of, of Joel and everybody else. That in that whole time period. Just means, in the, yeah, when in, in the day when Christ returns, you know, in, the in that um, okay. So anyway, um, oh, we have to touch on the Lord God, and we're going to come back to this as we move on here, but the, the Lord God, this is the first time that we see Lord here. This has not been mentioned. We've seen God. In the beginning, God. All of chapter 1, you will see God. Just G-O-D. You won't see anything else, and that's Elohim, right? And it's in the plural, which is unique too. The plurality there, which to us, we know that looking back, because we have New Testament and stuff to look at here to prove that, we know we believe in a trinity, God, right? A three, three. But that's not explicit, but it, it definitely has something to say there, Elohim. But now we have a personal name applied to this Elohim. That was a general God, El. You know, uh, uh, just God. God. You know, to, it could have been to the the pagan world. There's an El out there. Uh, and they might even believe in a creator to an extent. But now we have a Yahweh God. And so the name is now put on this uh, word Elohim and it's showing that this is somebody that is very personal. It means the very self-existent one. And so as he is going to put forth the creation of man and how that happened, he's going to show that God is personal with man. And uh, he is a covenant God. And he is not dependent upon anyone. No other kind of gods are in it. He is self-existent. You remember in Exodus chapter 3, 
and uh, Moses is at the burning bush, and uh, God is there. God is speaking, and Moses says, uh, Who do I say that you are? And what did he say? I am. Or Yahweh. I'm the self-existent one. <laughs> I'm the only God. All right? Uh, this is this unique God. So this first mention, and uh, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you'll see that um, tetragrammaton come up constantly. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all the way throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And tetragrammaton, because in the Hebrew they have no vowels, remember? And it's uh, Y-H-W-H. And uh, down through the years, they've more or less, you know, just taking that in itself, I've taken some liberty. We don't know for sure, but that's probably a good possibility that that's what that is. The Hebrew would not uh, pronounce his name because it was too sacred, and uh, they would use Adonai, which was Lord also, but that's your uh, little letters. And so it was okay to say that, but it was not okay to say Yahweh. That's how far they took that. But anyway, uh, so we have we have this aspect of generations. We have Lord God now coming into play as He is this personal God who has a name for His human beings that He's going to have that He's going to relate to them. Now what we're going to look at, and I think this might help, Kim, if we can look at this and say, okay, starting at verse 5 and 6, ask this question. What was it like in Eden before the fall? What was the condition pre-fall? What was it like? What was it like? What's the text emphasizing here? Man. What day are we dealing with when we're dealing with man? Six days. Especially the time we get into verse 7. And I have to be careful. I don't want to be dogmatic and everything here. And like I say, we're still working through this. A lot of different uh, ideas and commentaries. And I'm not so sure (laughs) we can get to the ultimate meaning of it. But we'll try to help. If this is meaning that there are... Uh, dealing with plants, which came on the third day, right? Plants were there the third day. And it says here, before any plant of the field. So that would take us back to at least the second day. Now, what are we doing there on the second day, or the first day, or even before all that? What, what you know, if what are, what are we talking about there when immediately he starts talking about the sixth day, which is the whole idea of this section of where we're at about man? Um there's a problematic situation here, no matter what. When we say problematic, we're not saying there are errors in the Bible. No, the Bible is absolutely true in every way. The problem is is that we have finite minds and we are sinful people. And so therefore, we struggle with uh, difficult passages. So we don't say, um, when we say it's problematic, we're saying that's a problem for us. It's not a problem for God. But it is, uh, do you admit that this is a difficult section? Not difficult. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're, we're in the context, right? Creation of man. 
it reads like these plants don't exist at a certain time period here. There's a Jewish scholar, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to present an idea, and I'm definitely not dogmatic on it, and I'm not even convinced by it. But I can say this man does know the Hebrew language very well. He knew the manner of how they wrote at that time. He's put many years in this. His name is Kasido. You may not have ever heard of him, but uh, maybe this can help and maybe it may not, but it's something at least to say, hey, that's worth considering, but um, I'm not so sure. Uh, and, I, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not so sure. But I, there are some things that he has, I think, that can be helpful. Uh, he's saying that this narrative is starting on day six. And that's the day that man was created. And I don't think that's too far-fetched. And verse 5 is saying is not that there weren't any plants and there weren't any trees, because there were. And they had already been created, according to chapter 1, on day 3. Uh, they didn't need rain. We know that. And it says it here. Um, they didn't need rain. Matter of fact, they didn't need man to till the ground. Um, they had been created. Plant, as far as plants are concerned, right? Right, Kim? Plants had already been created, and now it looks like they're not. And that's what the problem is, right? That looks like a problem. Okay. Um, you might have the word shrub for uh, the first word there uh, that's found in verse 5. Before any plant of the field or herb, we have plant and we have herb there. Uh, you may not have plant, you have bush. Uh, shrub. And if you look up uh, in the Hebrew and take a lexicon, and I have a witness to, to help me here, uh, you'll find out that uh, it has all of those words. So that's why the translations will use all those words. It can, be, it can even mean tree. And matter of fact, it comes from an undefined word. Uh, so, uh, whatever shrubs are of the field, or whatever the plants are of the field, they may not be the, the plants and the trees of day three, when it says that um, before any plant of the field, or those shrubs, or, and, and those other plants... Maybe there's something else. And I'm not going trying to go outside the scoop here. We're trying to stay with the language. Um, I think it becomes fascinating. The word for shrub is, uh, I'm using that. My, my version doesn't have it. It has uh, plant. Uh, but shiuk is a word there. I put it on your outlines as C-Y-A. That was another way of somebody that put it. But um, it means a shoot. It means a branch. It means a shrub. And all the other following words that we used. So it's, it's not defined specifically like, uh, like plant, but any of those could be defined as a, a grouping or a category of plant. There's another word at the end there, um, herb. I have plant first and then herb. Now some of you might have plant as the second word. And that's why it gets confusing. Eseb or Eseb. And we're saying, is it possible that these may not have been existence before the fall? Because it says here, um, 
before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. When did it first rain? All the way till the flood, which is like a thousand years later. There's no rain. So it looks like, okay, these plants aren't even around there because there's no rain. But then we have a verse 6 here that talks about a mist. And that's not a very good translation either. Yeah. You're talking, I'm looking, I was thinking, you know, if you look at that way, the first chapter, wouldn't that be the summary? And when you start in the second, that was the story. Yeah, yeah, uh, you mean the, the whole chapter one? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a hitting. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So really when you're, I mean, this, this is really telling the story. I mean, you've read it all here. He's giving, yeah, he's giving a detail now of what's going ahead, which I take it as it's in day six here, because he's he's going. His main object is the man. Yeah. If you go on ahead, then how do you how do you how do you argue the concept of people who want to say the second creation? If you're saying he's moving forward, which which is what you were saying with the subscriptus or whatever. With the generations concept, forward, forward ho. How do you how do you fight the people who argue that this is a second? If you're saying that that's what that means. Well, for one thing. Um, I mean, I understand the concept that you're saying, yeah. and I understand what she's saying, and I understand what you're saying. But how how do you go about saying okay? You could, because you can't argue like somebody who's saying this is a second creation. You cannot argue. I wouldn't get into technicalities. What we're doing, what I would do is say, look, and what we're going to do now is we're going to make this real simple. Look, we're talking about here's man formed. Did it tell anything about how he is formed in chapter one? No, it just said what. He created him, and there he was. Now we're going to get into something that explains it more, and he says, okay, now, here's how he came about. He formed him, and he uses dust. He breathes into him, gives him the breath of life. He becomes a living being. And then there's this garden, and he's going to place him there. Now, we didn't have the garden in the first chapter, did we? But he shows there's a garden of Eden. He's not He's not talking about... And that's why I say verse 4, I think, is very helpful if we can see this looking forward to it. It's not... If you look back, then it's like saying, oh, looks like there's a, a, a recreation or a, a second creation account. Maybe there's two creations. And there's no chronology in chapter 2, like there is in chapter 1. And that's what they're trying to do. And, and you can't follow a chronology in, in chapter 2, necessarily. Well, the other thing I'm curious about, not to put anybody on the spot, but Miklos doesn't seem to think that verse 5 is a problem, and I want to know how come, where, how do you read that? I mean, that you're, you don't... I never had any problem with it until tonight. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what, this is what I'm, I, I'm afraid is going to happen. We're taking something really simple, and none of us have any trouble with God's creation. And But when you do verse by verse, sometimes it, you make a mess of things before you start... Building it up, you know, you know, you getting those building blocks and stuff. You ever got them out and or like puzzles and stuff? Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna get into someday in our lifetime. We hope we're gonna get into how God actually created Adam. Well, isn't that what He's doing in verse five? Is how exactly these things in minute terms 
were did actually unfold in that bedroom. Exactly. Because like the first. But I'm but I'm saying the there shouldn't be any problem here. He's there's not. In chapter one, he made that global statement that on the uh, third day there was plants and all that stuff. Well, now we're, we're preparing you. Yeah, and so now we're going back and we're saying, well, you know, there weren't these little bushes and these little shrubs and stuff because we didn't need them because there wasn't any man to take care of them anyway. Right, and he's putting man on the scene. And he's making it tiny. He's bringing it down. He's making exactly. it breaking it down into what you did. Time. You put this in a package here. And we're putting this thing back together. I didn't want to scatter our minds, but I knew I had to at first. And I, that's why I, I really kind of didn't want to do this. But you got to be fair. You say, Dennis, what happened to four through six? Uh, I don't feel too good about. It. I told you, I wasn't really ready, and I'm not so sure I'll ever be ready. Um, maybe more next week, and because we're out of time. But I, I do want to say that I don't think man tilled the ground, and he could have, but I don't think we see either way, but I don't think man really tilled the ground until after the fall. Because there wasn't any need to till the ground, even though he was to tend the garden and take care of it, but there's no need to do that because all he had to do was go out and grab food. It was there. There wasn't anything that he had to do to toil and labor. The the fall later led to rain, which was many years later. Uh, the fall led to man working hard and laboring and tilling the soil. Okay, but, um, but if you take a, a fruit-bearing tree, if you don't get the fruit off the tree, the tree will not bear fruit again. Something has to die, tending. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's tending. Yeah. Wouldn't that be tending? Just plucking the fruit from the tree would be tending the tree. And really all he had to do was get whatever they needed to eat. Exactly. And it was always there. Uh, it was perfect. It was abs- and, and Let's boil it down to that. Everything was absolutely perfect the way that God had done. And we're, we're kind of working towards the fall, which is going to happen in the next chapter. Yeah, Ryan. I think you. I think we want to be careful saying that, or suggesting, whatever you were saying there, that there's, there definitely was like the reformers believe strongly. Luther was strong. There was work for Adam pre-fall. I'm not saying there wasn't work. Because there'll be work yeah. for us probably post-resurrection yeah. too. Yeah. It's not so. I guess we don't have a category for because the only work that we know is with, you know, messed up shoulders and and boxy, stupid Missouri soil that you can't dig in. But there's some category for, you know, work that isn't on the soil. Oh, absolutely. So, so he was he was there to work and keep it. He tended the he tended the garden. We just don't get, yeah. But we will. And I think we'll participate in it. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't meaning to say he didn't work. He did. It was an enjoyable work. He loved it. I mean, it was a, it was a thing that God had set up. But there was no sweat, no sweat of the brow. There was no labor in it, even though there was work. I think it's because it brings redemption to our work today. Yeah. Our work isn't just, oh, a stupid fall, you know, I have to go to work. This is part of God's purpose. Right. I guess the question that would be interesting to ask and it's neither here nor there. Was there a cultivation of the soil at that time? Have you ever thought about that? Was there a cultivation? 
Was there an, actually a plowing of it and such? Or digging into the ground? What's that? Exactly. Exactly. Matter of fact, if you go into three, and we're, we're going to have to close this down. I didn't get very far, but look, look in chapter three at the cursing. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. Continue on. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And what could mean with the herb of the field is now it's going to have to be cultivated. Now you're going to have to go into the ground. You're going to have to dig it. You're going to have to plant it. You're going to have to dig it. Then you're going to have to take it out. And you're going to have to make it... Bread is not going to come right out of the earth. What do you have? You have... You have the grain, you have the the wheat, uh, the the corn, the um, uh, uh, what are the other kind of you know different grains? Okay, now he's going to have to sow that. Then he's going to have to what? He's going to have to harvest it. Uh, he's going to have to beat that, take it into a flour, and then make bread. Now he's got a lot of work to go. He's going to eat of bread, whereas before there was no toil in it. And like what um, what she was saying is that he ate of the tree before. Now to eat, and to eat this bread and such, there's going to be work like he's not had before. Uh, he's had work, but now he's having to cultivate the ground. He didn't have bread before. I don't think so. There wasn't any need. He had, man, the, the, the fruits and everything that he had that, that was there. By look at this. By the sweat of your face, you're going to eat bread. Okay, what does that mean? You're going to have to really work for this, and you're going to eat bread now. Uh, and like this casado, this this uh, Hebrew guy said, is uh, this is barley, it's oats, it's wheat, uh, any kind of cultivated grain uh, that you make bread out of. He, he he would have to cultivate the fields. Plant the seeds, grow the crops, go through all that. Anybody that's done any gardening and farming, you know that, that that's worth. We like it, but there's going to be sweat, there's going to be toil, uh, there's going to be thorns, there's going to be thistles. And you have to work that out. And then you have to worry about water. And uh, it's time to close, but that, that deal about the, uh, the, the mist, uh, it's uh, actually, you might be wondering about it, it's the waters of the deep or the flow. Uh, literally, that's the literal translation. This water went up from the earth and watered the ground. Yes? Aha. Uh-huh. What do they do? Aha. Uh-huh. Like springs, right? That's the way it was all the way. There was no rain. There was no rain. There was, and I used to take this word mist, and it's like, well, this is kind of a misty type of thing. You're just all, always around, and they'd come up in the morning or something. But uh, And nothing wrong with that necessarily, but it, it, it's, it's going up. Whatever it is, it, there's like uh, springs. If you look in chapter 13, I, I'm on the close. <laughs> Real quick. But look in 13.10. This is fascinating. I just didn't have enough time here. But. Lot lifted his eyes. Okay. Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Here's Lot. Lifted his eyes, saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Then look at this. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, this is a beautiful place, like an oasis. No wonder he wanted to live there. The water would come up and and water that place just like it did whereas, where else? Like the garden of the Lord. That's Eden. 
like the land of Egypt. You know, the Nile River, it, it floods, but that water goes over and you have all that silt and it's just fantastic ground up to a certain point. Well, that's what happened then. Before you had rain, God had it like in uh, all over, or at least where he had all the, <laughs> like in the Garden of Eden, for instance. And that's what would come up. And so that happened for a long time until finally they they had rain. But I have to wonder if things started drying up in a lot of places because of the fall. And we said that the effect on that was incredible. Anyway, the word for that was heed. Heed. Can I say that? <laughs> Ryan, can you say that for us? How do you say that Hebrew word? You know which one I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, difficult, and I didn't really want to make it harder than, than really what it was. 